please. And turn with me to the book of Acts. And we're going to do some selected readings out of the book of Acts. And that's going to begin in chapter 2 and go through chapter 8. And uh, we want you to uh, be able to jump forward. So you might want to turn to chapter 8 first and put your hand there. We're going to uh, jump over to that uh, chapter where we'll be reading in verse 4 of chapter 8. But first we're going to read in chapter 2, verse 38. Chapter 2, verse 38 is where we'll start our Bible reading this morning. God's Word declares, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate, ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And now if you'll turn over to chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. It says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, and to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet they had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Praise the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is, is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? 
So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Well, it's good to have all of you here this morning. Wow. Is that just really loud? What does that mean? Okay. We want to welcome you, and uh, we're looking forward to a service this morning and this afternoon, kind of an extended service into this afternoon. We have been working our way through the book of Acts together, and we read a couple of portions from that earlier. We have seen the institution of the commands of God, how the church implemented those instructions that he gave to them in the Gospels. We're going to be looking at the Gospels quite a bit this morning in how those institutions became into being, uh, particularly the two that we're going to celebrate today. Um, in most Baptist circles, they uh, recognize two what we call ordinances of the church, uh, communion, uh, Lord's table, uh, and also baptism. We're going to be talking about both of those throughout this day. We have in our uh, practice always connected these. We uh, sometimes well, many times we partake of communion without baptism, but we don't ever partake of baptism without communion. We've always uh, wanted to uh, do those together. And so we're going to uh, really study the ordinances today. And where did they come from? Why do we do this? And what does it mean? And should I participate? Uh, is this something that we do once, or is it something we do regularly? And so we have some clear instruction from these, what we want to start off with is where we've been in the book of Acts. And we see that this is the practice of the church from the very first day at Pentecost when thousands came to Christ on that day in response to the powerful working of God through the apostles and, their, and Peter's message particularly, where 3,000 come forward and then just a few days later, some more thousands. Um, we find that one of the activities that they entered into very quickly was baptism. And uh, that all those who repented, that is, turned from their sin, uh, when they responded to Peter, like, what should we do? You've told us that we're sinners, that we've murdered the Christ, and indeed we have, and we feel cut to the heart. What shall we do? What do we need to do about this? And his statement was repent. And that is that you're going to turn from your sin. You're going to turn to Christ. You're going to receive him as your Savior and Lord, and then be baptized. And that this was the instruction that he received from Jesus, and he shares it right away the first day of the church. Day number one, the church understood that in relationship to God, um, God's desire for us is to repent, to come to him, to turn from our sin to him, and then to publicly communicate our identification in a very, to really in our modern age, a very strange symbolic act. Uh, we don't have a lot of symbolic acts left in our society anymore that we do to communicate a message. And so these are two that we maintain in the church that are full of symbolism. And perhaps even more powerful, they can the truths be communicated today because they are so strange in, in uh, what, uh, our, our, how our society functions and, and what we see as, as as normal public behavior. But for the Jewish community, they understood what baptism was all about, and so we didn't have a lot of instruction. They simply went right into it. However, the institution of the Lord's table uh, was a little bit different, but it was connected again to a common Jewish practice. And so the Jewish practice was Passover. And so our Lord's table is instituted at the conclusion of Passover. All the elements are there that are prescribed by the requirements for Passover meal. And so they would have had the, the uh, matzah, which is the, un, the unraised bread, unleavened bread, uh, and the, the juice. And the, again, uh, 
Some churches will use uh, fermented wine, um, but uh, again, keeping the theme of the idea of of uh, the lack of yeast or the lack of where yeast is a picture of sin in God's word, um, we don't practice that. We have just regular grape juice that we use. And, and they, what do these symbols represent? Well, the Jews understood them in reference to Passover, but very few in our day really understand that connection. And so because we've lost the heritage of where these things came from, we, we take time to explain them before we participate in them and to really study them out. We want to do that this morning and uh, to really uh, draw what we are trying to uh, accomplish this morning by doing this and what we're not trying to accomplish. That's almost as important to know why we're doing it, but also why are, what, what we're not doing while we're doing this. Because a lot of people have put other meaning that uh, the Bible doesn't. But before I do so, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and to study these precious uh, uh, acts that you've given to us, these symbols, these uh, opportunities to worship in these uh, really pretty rare mechanisms that we see in our society today. But Lord, we uh, do thank you for your instruction. We pray that we might be diligent to accomplish them. Uh, and Lord, uh, help us to recognize the, their great value, but also uh, help us to distinguish the symbols from that which they symbolize. That we might keep our focus not on these uh, things that we can do, but rather on what you have done for us. And Lord, keep our eyes on Christ this hour. In it's his name we pray. Amen. Well, Let's back up to the book of Luke, and same author, the guy who wrote the book of Acts also wrote, book, wrote the book of Luke, and uh, he's going to, we have an account really of the institution of the Lord's table in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we could go to any one of those to describe the, uh, the historical events around the establishment of what we call communion or the Lord's table, um, and so in Luke chapter 22 is where I'm at, did I tell you the chapter yet? All right, the kids know how to get to Luke 22. I'm just confident they all know, because they've all been in Word Life Clubs. They know how to find their places in the Bible. Luke chapter 22, and uh, let's just pick up in uh, verse 13, because I want to see that connection of what's the context of what Christ is about to do. Verse 13 says, So they went and found it, that is a room, prepared, just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I'll no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. A very powerful prophetic statement of Christ saying this is really the last Passover that needs to be eaten on earth. Not only by Christ, but by men because it's going to be fulfilled. It's going to be completed Within the next few hours, really, but but the, the couple of days, if you go towards all the way to the resurrection. So verse 17, then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Uh, no, I didn't. And he took the cup, gave thanks, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And this is not the cup that we're going to partake of. This is the Passover cup. And so you'll see that there is no Passover elements here. They aren't here. Um, Christ shares that with the disciples, and he says that this is going to be fulfilled. This aspect, this concluding aspect of the Passover meal, this is going to be fulfilled in me. That is that I am going to complete what it teaches. And Passover, if you want to know what that is connected to, is connected to the exodus of Israel out of Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, all the plagues. Remember the tenth plague was the slaughter of the um, firstborn of Egypt, firstborn males of Egypt. And anyone who wanted to avoid that had to put the blood of a slain lamb on the side, the lintels it describes it, and the, the post, the, the top and the sides of a, their, their front door. That when the angel Lord comes through, that he'll over, he'll pass by it. I'll pass over that house if I see the blood. 
I'll pass over it, and no one will die in that home. And so to commemorate that event, that redemptive event for Israel, where they were delivered from the death of the firstborn male, um, they instituted the Passover feast that would be held every year. And it was a picture, really, of the fact that you can trust God to deliver you. To deliver you from death, from sin, from slavery. That God is our deliverer. And Christ says, now you've been partaking of this for <laughs> a couple thousand years. You've been partaking of this Passover meal. And this year is the last year that it's necessary because I'm fulfilling it. I'm completing what it talked about because your redemption is complete in me. There's no other redemption that is required. There's no other sacrifice. There's nothing else that needs to happen. We're going to finish Passover tonight. This is, I'm excited about this when he talks about it. I've been looking forward to this night. When I can bring to an end this celebration by finishing everything that it talks about. Because I am not just saving one nation from another nation, I'm going to save all men from their sin. I am going to open up all men and allow them to be saved from death. I'm going to be the deliverer. And so he completes that. He fulfills it as the word used here in the New King James with that whole idea of completion. Not that he is, he is putting away as if, as if it wasn't valuable. It was necessary and valuable. It pointed to him. But now that he has come, you don't need that anymore. And so he moves from completing Passover, sharing that cup with everybody, that last cup of the Passover. He shares it with everyone, and then he adds something else that isn't part of Passover. That he says, I'm fulfilling Passover, but I'm going to institute something else. I'm going to start something new. And this isn't about pointing forward to a Redeemer. This is about pointing back. This is about remembering your Redeemer. And so we have the fulfillment. It is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says in verse 16, I say to you, I'll no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup, gave thanks, and it's fulfilled. It is is completed. The next time he is going to, it says, drink of the fruit of the vine will be when the kingdom of God comes. We look forward to that. And then he does something different in verse 19 and following. He took bread. He gave thanks and broke it. The meal is, the Passover meal is really completed. He gives it to them and now a whole new meaning. This is no longer the bread of haste. That's what the Passover bread was, the bread of haste. That we had to quickly get out of Egypt. There was no time to pack. There was no time to wait for the bread to rise. And so you're going to be Tonight it's going to happen. Tomorrow you're going to have to leave Egypt. No time to bake bread. Bread of haste. And he's going to transform that imagery into a very different picture. Verse 19, he takes it to him and says, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, Now... As you've been contemplating the bread of haste, and as you've always been looking backwards to Moses and the Exodus and, and to uh, that facet of what this is, I want you now to uh, associate this bread with something different. I want you to associate this bread with my sacrifice. This is my body. This bread is going to represent my body. And I want you to partake of it in remembrance of me. Now recognize that when Jesus is doing this, he hasn't died yet. And so these are really instructions for them to carry on after his death. That now we're going to um, take of this table to remember that Christ came in the flesh. That God became man and walked among us. We beheld his glory. And we rejected it. He was crucified. His body was broken. Not uh, the, the prophecy says that he would none of his bones would be broken, but the idea here is that it was broken open. It was torn open. 
and we look at the crucifixion and we can see the the damage to Christ's physical body that that made it almost unrecognizable as, as in a human form and Isaiah describes that in the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading there that we read earlier in Acts chapter 8 that that he had no form or comeliness there's nothing about him there's no beauty there that we would look at him and behold him and say oh no 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 that is not the presentation of the suffering servant of Isaiah. No, he's going to be torn. He's going to be broken open. And Christ says, I'm going to have a, I'm physically going to sacrifice myself for your sins. And that means that my body is going to be, in its flesh, going to be destroyed. It's going to be broken. It's going to be torn. And I give it for you. And so when you partake of this, I want you to remember that. I came in my flesh. I dwelt among you, yet without sin. And I was willing to give myself to cover your evil, your sin, your wickedness. And to deliver you from death. And so the deliverance aspect is still there from the Passover event. And we draw upon it now for the real deliverance that's for all men. From sin and death. He goes on, and then he says, he takes that same cup, and he he takes it, and he says, likewise, verse 20, he took the cup after supper. Remember this, after the meal's over, so this is, we're kind of doing it upside down. We're doing it before the meal starts, right? Uh, It's okay. We'll explain that why. Um, After the cup, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of sin. That every covenant of, between God and man is set apart or made holy by the shedding of blood. For Israel, that meant the sacrifice of animals. And so every morning, the priest would get up and have to sacrifice a lamb, uh, pour out its blood. And, and every evening at the end, whether anyone else brought any sacrifices or not, every evening at the end of the day, he would have to do the exact same thing. Take a lamb pour and, and slaughter it, pour out its blood before the Lord, and... Every morning and every night, that's what their day started and ended with. was the shedding of blood to remind them of the necessity of the shed blood to establish this covenant between God and Israel. That we have a relationship with God and, it, and the seal, the, the, the power behind that is demonstrated in this blood. But that blood wasn't sufficient. That's why it had to be done over and over and over and over again. Could you imagine every morning and every night you get up and that's your first job and your last job of the day? And Hebrews tells us the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and calves couldn't take away sin. But it did remind them of a covenant and it pointed forward. And Christ says, this is the blood of a new covenant. That was the old one. And it was... Uh, it's fulfilled. I've completed that one as well. But I want to implement a new covenant, a new agreement. A covenant is just agreement. So if you're in a, in, a commu- in a neighborhood that has a homeowner's association, you have covenants. That is that you as a group of homeowners have agreed that you're going to maintain your yard and that you're going to not let it, not let this happen or that happen. If a window gets broken, it has to be fixed. If, if it needs painted, you're going to paint it. If you're going to Keep the weeds down. You're going to do those kind of things. That's called a covenant. You've agreed together that you'll each maintain your property. And you've done that legally and formally. And when you buy the house in one of those communities, you have to sign this covenants. Well, this is a covenant. This is an agreement, not between men, but between us and God. And it is sealed not by the blood of an animal, but by the sinless blood of Christ. That that blood is, is the atoning, the covering of our sin. That is that broke the relationship between us and God. And that in our sin, we are in that condition of earning and deserving death. And, and God says, there's no way for you to come into a right relationship with me unless I do something about it. And so he sends his son to die on Calvary's cross, shedding his blood to cover our sin. To establish this opportunity for 
a relationship, an agreement between God and man. That instead of being his enemy, I can become not just his friend, um, not just his uh, a, a servant in his kingdom, um, but I can become his very family. I can become a joint heir, the Bible says, with Jesus Christ. That is a, a joint inheritor. I can become a child of God. This is the covenant that Christ is describing here that is accomplished through the shedding of his blood. And so we find um, this institution before Christ's death. He takes them aside. Uh, we're given this instruction. Uh, one of the other gospels is, often as you do this, you're doing this in remembrance of me. You do this as frequently as you want to remember me, but you're only going to do it for a period of time. You're only going to do it until I come. Because once I come back, you're not going to do this anymore even. Passover was fulfilled by Christ's sacrifice. And we do this remembering back to him because we don't have him here with us right now. In the, in the flesh. We don't have him here before us. We have his spirit here. And so we use these elements to remind us of what he has done for us. And one day we will be in his presence if we have trusted in Christ as our Savior. And this won't be necessary because we'll see him face to face. And we'll remember because we'll see the nail prints in his hands and feet. And his side. And we'll remember that those prints were for me. That that sacrifice was for my sin. And what I anticipate in seeing in Christ is what we really are doing today in partaking of this Lord's table is to remember that this wonderful salvation that's really free to me, I don't, can't pay for it, remember? We read about Simon. I want to pay. Can I get, offer you money? No. Money is not a part of this thing. That's, that's evil to associate any of this with money. And shame on any of those that do that in our age. Nothing can buy it because the purchase price is Christ's. He has done that. I want to transition us, use a verse out of 1 Peter to transition us into the other ordinance of our church. So if you'll turn to... Uh-oh. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 18 and following. You'll see very quickly that it's going to get into baptism. I want to talk about that, but the first few verses are very important. Verse 18 says, For Christ, that is Jesus, also suffered once for sins. That is a tremendous fact. (laughs) You don't have to do this every day. You don't have to keep sacrificing every day. You don't, there, there doesn't need to be any more sacrifices for sin. There was once for sins. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself once, and that was sufficient to cover all our sins. He, he suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. He did not die for the, for self-righteous people, but he died for people who recognized their sin and were sorry for it and wanted to turn from it, wanted to be delivered from it. And so it was the just one, the holy one, the perfect one, the sinless one, who didn't deserve to die, suffers death one time for all. The sins are covered, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And so he accomplishes this work by his sacrifice one time. We are not re-sacrificing Christ here. We are remembering. These are symbols remembering that once Christ died for my sin. That one Savior, that one Deliverer, that one act of the just one on my behalf so that he could bring us to God. He didn't need it to get himself. He was God. He had perfect fellowship with God. 
He was willing to break that fellowship for a season to become sin for us. That he could bring us to God. And so when we talk about trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior, Peter here describes that, that what we're doing is we're saying, the way I'm coming to you, God, is not of my creation, but it's of yours through Jesus Christ. I want to come to you on your terms. And that means I'm coming to you not through my own righteousness, not through my religious activity, not through being a good guy. Um, I'm coming to you um, as an undeserving person, trusting in your way, which is Jesus Christ. That he suffered once for all. Done. And he brings us to God. You see, the modern age says that that's, that's not politically correct. And it's not. Never has been politically correct, by the way. That's why some of the guys we've been reading about in Acts are going to die. It wasn't politically correct to the Romans. And it's not politically correct today. To say there's only one way. But we have an attitude that, well, God should just be happy that I'm trying to find a way to him. You know, we are all finding our own way to God. I have heard that so much in the last 15 years. It, it almost, I just kind of go, oh, that again. If you haven't figured that out, that Christ says, I am the way, the truth, life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Peter's terms, that's John's terms. In Peter's terms, he brings us to God, and there is no one else qualified to do that. Not me. I cannot bring you to God. Not Moses. Not the apostles. We can't bring you to God. We can bring you to Christ and say, here's the one that you must trust in. He can bring you to God. He can bring you into a right relationship with Him. All I can do is communicate to you Christ. And we're doing that as we partake of this, and we're going to be talking about that as we partake in baptism. This is the one who brings us to God, is Jesus Christ. Because he has been put to death in the flesh, but he has risen again. He's been made alive in the Spirit. And this is going to take us into baptism. Because that's what baptism is going to picture. Both of these are picturing the same person, the same event. Um, this one is picturing a remembrance of it. This is picturing an application of it. <laughs> that I've applied this to life. And usually we reverse these, and this one comes first, and then this one. But sun, this Sunday we're reversing it. We, we're just doing it opposite, and there's a reason I'm doing that. Uh, I don't want you to think that this qualifies you for this. That you have to do this to partake of this. The Bible shares that this is the Lord's table. And we don't schedule baptism 10 minutes after someone accepts Christ. Uh, we have to teach about it um, because of, there's a lot of confusion out there, a lot of wrong teaching about it over the time. And so we communicate, and, and so there's a time lag between their accepting Christ and their baptism. And I don't believe that that is sufficient reason to prevent anyone from partaking of this table. This table is to remember your Savior. And if He's your Savior today, you are commanded to partake of this. Point blank. No excuses. You're commanded to partake of this. Corinthians tells us that um, some people partook of this in an unworthy fashion and uh, became sick and some even died in that church from treating it lightly, just a snack or just not caring. Um, and uh, the Bible doesn't say that gives you an excuse not to partake of it because you know you're not worthy. Um, the Bible says make yourself worthy and then partake of it. Deal with that. If you've got unrepentant sin in your life, repent of it. Deal with it right now to qualify yourself so you can partake of it without injury, without offense to God. We're not really given permission just to skip it because we're afraid of offending God. Rather, deal with what disqualifies you and then partake of it. And so this is about remembering our Savior. This is about picturing what He did. And it's personal application. So, 
we're going to talk a little bit more about this, um, but here in First Peter we have a great little verse where Peter defines baptism. And it's not like a baptism, not like a definition that probably you have heard or used very often. That's in verse 21. He's a, he talks a little bit about uh, what Christ did in the in his uh, death burial, in his burial, particularly in his resurrection, and compares it to the deliverance of Noah's day. Um, Verse 21, he says there's an antitype which now saves us. And he describes baptism. He wants to describe baptism. And there's a parenthetical statement here which defines it. And defines it by saying what it's not and what it is. And this is very important in every definition. Okay? To say it's not this, it is this. And in these two ordinances, we have to do that. Because a lot of people said this is this. This is uh, eating Christ. Well, no, it's not. It's remembering Christ. Not consuming Him. It's about the fact that I am communicating a remembrance that is Christ that has made me new. His sacrifice. And so here is Peter's description of baptism. He's going to define it for you. Number one, baptism is not the removal of the filth of the flesh. It is not washing away anything. We're going to get into this water. It's kind of clean. Yeah, it's pretty clean. It's pretty clean water. Okay? It's not going to wash away anyone's sins. It's not going to make them holier. It's not going to... It might make them a little bit cleaner if they haven't had a bath for a long time. Uh, It might make them a little bit cleaner in the flesh, but that's not what baptism is about. This is not a wash tub. It's not what it's for. It's not what we're communicating. We're not really communicating a washing away. Because that is done by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by a baptism. And the idea that somehow through this act we are dealing with any kind of sin is error. This is not about getting washed of anything. Of filth from the flesh. uh, That somehow by putting your body in... This is not holy water. It came right out of the city of Albuquerque tap. Okay? Okay? It's not blessed. It's, it's just water. Pretty plain and simple. Just like that's just grape juice. Came from Kroger's or something. Um, Smith's. Uh, this is uh, just cracker. At probably, I don't know, some, somewhere. It's just normal. We are filling them with meaning. And so he says this is not, baptism isn't about washing. It's not about removing filth from the flesh. But here is what it is. So that's what it's not. It's not washing away anything. We're not washing away anything off of the three men that are going to, young men that are going to be baptized. We're not washing them of anything. It's not what we're communicating at all. And many people say that that's what's going on here. And because of that, confusion has been invoked in the people of God that somehow this is what takes away your sin. And because of that, they want to get rid of original sin. And because they want to get rid of original sin, well, we want to baptize our babies to get rid of their original sin. But it does not remove any sin. That is not what we're doing today. This is not bringing God's grace into your life. This is remembering that Christ has sacrificed to deliver me, to bring me to God. It's not bringing me to God by eating these. It is remembering that which does bring us to God, Jesus Christ. And similarly, this is not about removing anything from the flesh. It's not about washing me of my sin. But it is this, in verse 21. Very good definition, because it's right out of the Bible. It's a really good definition of what baptism is, if you want to define it. It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. What is baptism? It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. It is a response of someone who already has a good conscience toward God. How do you get a good conscience toward God? That means that your guilt has been removed. How do I get that? How do I get rid of guilt? How do I get rid of this conscience that I know I've done evil? How can I get rid of that? How can I be qualified because... To be qualified to partake in this, you have to have a good conscience toward God. How does that happen? Well, Peter already told us. By trusting in the one 
for sin, once for sin's sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to God, and now we have a, we have no, we don't have a guilt standing there. We, we're, we're staying before Him, um, declared innocent. Not that they were innocent, we've been declared innocent. That we have been cleansed of our sin. It's not that we're going in here as sinless people, we're going in here as saved people. We have been saved from our sin, delivered from that. And when they come out of here, you know what's gonna happen this week? These three guys are going to sin this week. I guarantee you it. John first. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then Cody. And then Justin. Why? Because it's going to be youngest, oldest. Because older you are, less you sin. Because you just get tired. No, it's not true, actually. They're going to sin. Because this doesn't make them sinless. This is communicating that someone has died for their sins. Someone has taken their sin and its, and its penalty, its guilt, and has called it their own. And so Jesus Christ takes our guilt and our sin upon himself. And so now uh, I can confess my sin. He's, and he's willing to forgive me of sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness that I can be whiter than snow before him. Does that mean I just keep sinning and sinning and sinning because Jesus Christ is just going to free? No, I'm warring against sin now because I know that it doesn't please my Heavenly Father and He's done so much for me out of sheer thankfulness I want to do something for Him. And this is the key where baptism comes in. If I've died for you, okay, if I have sacrificed for you, out of simple gratitude, Pure thankfulness. There ought to be a response. A response that is full of gratitude, that is full of thankfulness, that is obvious. And if someone has sacrificed for you, it is appropriate to be thankful, to be grateful. That's why children should be grateful for their parents. Because believe it or not, they are sacrificing for you. I mean, they got to feed you, and how you don't even worry about those things hardly. They do. They pay for those bills. Jesus Christ has paid the bill for our salvation so that we can be brought to God, and now we can have a clear conscience. We can have a, 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 a good conscience. It's been. The guilt has been taken away. The sin has been forgiven. And now I can come to God with joy and, and rejoicing. And, and I can have this relationship with Him, this covenant with Him. And so, that's the good conscience. So you have to have a good conscience to participate in baptism. Because baptism isn't the good conscience. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. So now that I've got a good conscience toward God, how do I respond to Him? How do I show Him my thankfulness? Well, many places in Scripture describe that. How do your children show thankfulness that they really are genuinely thankful for their home and for all you provide for them, for your love, for your care, for your nurturing, for education? How do we show thankfulness for that? Parents, what do you want from your kids? Number one, I know there's love and all those things, but here's how to show love. You obey your parents and honor them. Period. Guess how you respond to God out of a good conscience? You obey God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, here's what Jesus commands us to do. Verses 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Very simple. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to fulfill His commands. One of His commands is to be baptized. It's that simple. Baptism is me responding to God that I have a clear conscience, I have a good conscience towards you, and you've asked this of me, and I'm more than happy to do that. I'm going to stand up in front of my friends and family and my enemies and my peers, and I'm going to let you do a weird thing to me. And I've done this in some weird places. I've done this in swimming pools and jacuzzis and the river. I've done it down the river and lakes and ponds. 
Um, I've done it in watering troughs. Um, and today we're doing it in this tank. When I did it in the river, we got a lot of funny looks. These people, what are they doing? And then they saw me dunk this great big guy under the water, pull him, and the kids just laughed. That was so funny to them. It's just a weird thing to watch. Why are we willing to do this weird thing in front of people? Because God asked it of us, and he's done so much for us. He hung naked on a cross, despised and rejected for me. This is a small thing I can do. And this is really the beginning of a life of doing what God wants me to do. And that's what's being communicated here, is that Jesus died for me. And this is me communicating to you that I am committing myself to obey God. That I'm going to start here. This is where it starts. A life of obedience to God starts here. Because the first thing God commands us to do is to be baptized. It starts there. And then it says, once you've gotten that taken care of, then you're to be taught to observe all the other commands. This isn't the end. And I see people come in and get baptized and then slickly split. They're out there living just like they used to live. And I'm like, you didn't get it at all. That's why I have a class that I make these guys go through. Because they need to get it. That this is a statement. This is a statement saying, I am going to be living for God henceforth. From now on, the goal of my life has changed. I'm not living for me. I'm living for God. I'm not, I'm wanting to keep his commandments. His commandments aren't grievous to me. And here we have these tied together that the sacrifice of Christ, that once for all sins, that's what got rid of sin. And by trusting in that, I can have a good conscience toward God. Once I have a good conscience toward God, the next thing I should do is answer God, saying how thankful I am for what he's done for me by doing this weird thing called baptism, which we're going to talk about a little more this afternoon about what it really, what we're trying to show. But that's what this is. This is a response, an answer. God says, I died for you. Will you believe me? We say, yes, I believe. God says, okay, you're my child. And we say, then I'm going to obey you. That's our response. That once he has made our conscience right, we answer him with obedience. And the obedience to God begins in the waters of baptism. And because it's impossible for, for unbelievers to have a good conscience towards God... We don't put them in the tank. It's impossible for babies to have a good conscience towards God. Um, they can't answer. It's not a re- they're not capable of responding. We don't put them in the tank or sprinkle them or dunk them or splash them or anything else. Because this is the order. This is an answer of someone who has a good conscience towards God. That's communicating that I'm going to learn to obey all God's commands. It doesn't mean they are obeying all of God's commands. If we waited for that, we would never baptize anybody. It's saying, I am committed to learning how to obey God's commands. I'm committed to it. That's what they're stating. Because Christ has giving me a good conscience toward God. Here's how I answer. And that's what these are. And so to this morning, we're going to very quickly serve communion. Probably too quickly. To remember Christ. We're going to have a meal, then we're going to have baptism to let three people share one time that from now on, their lives want to be committed to obeying God following his commands. And so I invite you to partake of this. If you're a believer here, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you have a Lord to remember, you're commanded to partake of this. If there's sin in your life, deal with it right now. Repent. Turn from it. Confess it. Ask God to forgive you. As we're distributing this, that's a great time to do. take care of that right now. God's commanded you to do that. We're going to start with where Christ started. He took the bread and broke it and he told them to eat of it. 
And we're going to distribute this. We're going to pass it out to you. I'm going to take this middle aisle and um, Mr. Brum, if you'll take over there and Mr. Roberts right over here, we're going to pass out. We ask you to wait till everyone's been served because um, we want to commu- take of this together. So wait till everyone's been served and then we will instruct you to eat of it as Christ instructed his disciples here in, in Luke that we just read. Following that, we're going to then do the same thing with these little cups of grape juice that are representative to help us remember that Christ shed his blood for me. We do not teach that these things are transformed into the body and blood of Christ. We don't teach that the body and blood of Christ uh, surrounds them, but rather these are just tools to remember his sacrifice. And if you desire to partake of it because you have a relationship with God and He is your Savior, we invite you to do so. In fact, we command you to do so. So let's begin with the bread. And the reason we didn't have junior church because many of our children uh, that would normally go to children's church have received Christ as their Savior and are, uh, whether they've been baptized or not, are qualified to partake of this table. So we want them here. But if they have not, then you need to instruct them to let it pass. That uh, until they understand what this is, until they've received Christ as their Savior and Lord. All right, let's pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you again for this opportunity to celebrate what you've done for us. And Lord, we remember that salvation, while it's free to us, was not free to you, but very costly. Lord, we thank you that you did not just leave us to flounder in our sin and then die with eternal punishment on our heads without hope. But yet you chose to come and to live among us, to die by our hand, by our sin, to become sin for us in your flesh, that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you. We pray you might Bless each one who is partaking of this with the right spirit and heart that you might convict those who are not. They might turn from their sin to you even now. We pray says in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.